I'd ask you to turn to Luke chapter 11 if you find your Bible there and turn to the book of Luke. So you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke in the New Testament, third book of the New Testament. And find chapter 11. We'll be there in just a moment. Luke 11. Now here's something that happens to me sometimes. I'm wondering if it happens to any of you. And that is I get deep into a project. Maybe it's a house project. Maybe it's a car project. And all of a sudden it occurs to me that I have no business doing what I'm doing. Right? Like I'm not a professional. Why am I doing this? Trying to save some money probably, but what is going on? It's, it's about the time where I take out my cell phone, the pictures that I took along the way, and I'm looking at them going, how do I put this back together? <laughs> I found that anyone could take something apart. It's putting it back together that's really hard. So I, I, this happens to me, and uh, so all of a sudden i got to decide, what am I going to do? Who am I going to call? Like, who's my lifeline? You want to take a guess the first place I turn? <laughs> Somebody said YouTube. Google, yeah, YouTube. Right? I mean, I don't want to bother a person. I, it's embarrassing. Like, I'm supposed to be, I don't want to be that guy that can't do the basic project, that can't figure something out. So I try to avoid telling anyone else and just say, okay, what does YouTube have to say about this? Can I find the model number of my car? Can I, you know, all this stuff. And so I it work myself through the project. But then sometimes I need an actual person, right? So who's the first person I call? What do you think? I'm like, I don't know. I call my dad. I call my dad. My dad is awesome. I can call him anytime, day or night. I'm not, I'm not kidding. If I called him right now, which would be weird because I'm preaching, but if I called him right now and said, Dad, I need you, he would get on the phone and he would help me. And he never judges me. He never makes me feel dumb. He's never like, well, Mark, why'd you do that? <laughs> he never does that. He just listens. He gives me advice. Then there's times where I have to actually call a professional. And that's the worst. You know, it's like, okay, I need your help. I've really messed things up. But calling my dad is, is wonderful because um, I can give you an example how my dad will just do whatever. I was going to school, going to college in Wisconsin, but I was from Pennsylvania, right? Eastern Pennsylvania. So we're driving back from school. We have a bunch of people in the car. I'm driving the car. And all of a sudden, it just turns off. Like the, the electricity into the car, like the panel went blank. It wasn't running, and I'm just coasting. And I have no power steering. I'm like, okay, what do I do? I'm on the freeway. I'm going really fast. So I just kind of work my way over to the middle of the freeway because that's the safest place to go. So I move the car over, and I, I just park it right there, and the cars are just going biased like crazy, and it won't start. It won't move. Nothing. Not even turning over. I don't know what to do. So we all call our parents in Pennsylvania, and my dad says, you know what? Stay there. We haven't even made it out of Wisconsin yet, Okay. We're still in Wisconsin. My dad's in eastern Pennsylvania. It's like 15 hours away. He goes, just wait there. We'll come get you. So he gets in the car with some other people. They drive out there. They take care of everything. And I'm, I mean, that's just an example of how my dad will do whatever, okay? He'll be there for me. I know he will. And so that's who I call first. And my dad knows just enough to be dangerous, so that's really fun too. So he'll tell me something, and I'm like, okay, dad, I don't know about this. Well, I hate to admit it when those things happen because I have pride in me. I don't want to ask for help. So I do everything I can not to ask for help. And unfortunately, sometimes we approach prayer with the same reluctance. We're kind of like, I got this. I don't really need help. And it's not till we're like in way over our head and we're crying out, okay, God, I need you now. Like, you got to do something here. I've really messed things up. And that's sometimes how we look to God in prayer. And this morning, I want us to see a different way. Luke 11 offers a different approach to prayer. And it's really like praying to our Father. 
because he is our father. So I want you to look at Luke 11 with me. We're going to read verses 1 through 4. We'll pause, and then we'll read verses 5 through 10. Okay, so follow along. Luke 11, verse 1 through 4. Here's what God's word says. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. So this is a pretty familiar passage to us, but we usually read the Matthew portion. The Matthew portion is a longer Lord's Prayer, and so we, we often read that. But here in Luke, we have a version of that. And so, so Jesus' disciples say, teach us how to pray, Christ. We, we see you praying. We don't know how to pray. Teach us how to pray. And so he gives them a basic framework. But then in verses 5 through 10, which we'll look at in, in a second here, he gives them a parable. And this is an interesting parable, and often we, we haven't considered this parable. But it teaches us something about prayer. So before we read the parable, verses 5 through 10, I want you to notice a couple words from verse 5. He says, and he said to them, which of you? And, and that, that lingo right there in this day and age is kind of like saying, suppose this happened to you. It's, it's putting the reader, or in, in the original case, the, the hearers, in the hypothetical uh, uh, main character. So, so basically, he's saying to the disciples, imagine this is you. Okay, so let's read on. And we can all put ourselves in the place of this person. Imagine this is you, verse 5. And you have a friend who will go, you'll go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. Verse 8, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. So here in Luke 11, Jesus invites us to pray often, to pray boldly, and he gives us a parable that, that helps us understand uh, what is going on. It's an ordinary, relatable story. I mean, this could happen to anyone, especially in the first century. Now, here's the scenario. It's late in the evening, and all of a sudden, guests arrive at your house. They, they're unannounced, like they didn't tell you they were coming. Kind of rude, I know. But in this day, you could do this because you were traveling. There weren't the hotels that we have today, and you just show up. And it was very expected in this culture for you to take somebody in, to feed them, to house them. And so not only do you want to help your friend out, you feel compelled to help them out. Because cultural pressure is such that if you don't help them out, I mean, this is, if you don't help somebody out in this situation in this time, it's tantamount to slapping them in the face or keying their car. It's like really rude, okay? You, you must help somebody out. And so you want to, you have to. To not do so is disrespect of the highest order. Problem is, you realize, oh, that's right. I was going to go tomorrow to the grocery store to get all of the food I needed. I have nothing in the house, not a single thing. Now, this is before there are convenience stores. There are no, no super Walmarts. I mean, even in Cedar Lake, we now have a 24-hour Casey's and BP. So, 
we could today give somebody at least a slushie and a, and a gas station pizza. Okay, we could at least provide that. But in this time, there's nothing. You, 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 like, what are you going to do? The only option is to go to somebody else's house, a neighbor, a friend, and ask for help, to be that guy. Okay, that's, that's what this guy is forced to do, to go be that person who isn't prepared, who needs help. And remember, this is almost midnight. The Bible says it's midnight. So think about how awkward this whole scenario is. Forget about for a second the whole family's in one bed. That's, that's awkward, okay? But in this day and age, that happened. You know, in, in, in households that weren't very wealthy, one room, everyone's in there together. So yeah, get over that awkwardness. That's different from our day and age. But that, now imagine going to a house and knocking on the door at midnight. Can you just imagine how, how you approach and how you're getting ready to knock? The awkwardness, the, the annoyance of this parable is intended to be, and this is key to understand, a stark contrast to prayer. Jesus is not saying this is exactly how prayer works, okay? Be like this guy. God is like the guy in bed. Instead, what he's doing is he's helping us understand how different prayer really is from this scenario. And we see first that prayer is not a burden. Prayer is never a burden. But this neighbor, he's bothered by his friend. I mean, look at it. Clearly, he is annoyed. His friend is quickly becoming a frenemy. He is not happy with this guy that's waking him up at midnight. And I don't know how many knocks it took, but eventually it works. Eventually, he gives him what he asks for. Now, when I was a preteen and into a teenager, I had a newspaper route. How many of you have no idea what a newspaper route is? Anyone under the age of... Okay, some of you have no idea. What's a newspaper route? It's when you ride your bicycle around and you deliver papers. Newspapers are like black and white and they get ink on your hands. And anyway, the Sunday was like, you could really pack a punch with the Sunday through that thing. But I did this newspaper route. And here's the craziest thing about having a paper route. I actually had to go to the doors, knock on the doors and, and get the money that they owed me. Like I had to collect to get paid. Now, whatever business makes children go knock on strangers' doors for money, it, I mean, should be, we should really think about that, and I think they did, okay? But I remember how this would work. I would go to the door, and I would knock. And I, I you know, there's some etiquette to this. I would start with a little knock, like, okay, no one comes. Knock a little harder, thump, 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 thump. No one comes. At this point, I'm trying to realize, like, how, how loud can I knock before it's rude? Like, how much do I pound on this door before it starts to get really... I see people in there, okay? They're walking around. They have drinks in their hand. I know what they're saying to each other. They're saying, just don't say anything, he'll go away. Just don't move, okay? Just act like you don't hear him. I, I knew it was happening. I remember being a kid going, I want my money. But I'm knocking on the door, you know, no one's answering. And sometimes, honestly, this is what prayer feels like. We're knocking on the door. Well, I know God's in there, but why isn't he answering? Like, what's the deal? Does he, is he annoyed? Can he not answer my, my, my prayer? Maybe it's a bad time. And I don't know about you, but there are times where I'm praying and going, why isn't God answering? What is going on? I feel like that kid knocking to collect for my paper out. But I want you to see from this text that God is not burdened by prayer. He is not burdened by prayer. This man was burdened by the request, but he is never burdened by prayer. We can't bother God. If he's our father, if we're his son or his daughter, we cannot bother him. It's never a bad time. It's never inconvenient. He's not like, oh, sorry, I went to bed. Can't really wake up the kids. Can't come help you. No, this is a human illustration, but what we realize is God is very different from this. 
Warren Wiersbe said this. He said, prayer isn't bothering God, bargaining with God, borrowing from God, or burdening God. See what he did there with those bees? A lot of bees, okay? True prayer is blessing God the Father because we love him, trust him, and know that he will meet our needs. That's what prayer is. It's not bothering him. It's blessing him because he is the only one who can meet our needs. I want you to consider a couple things about this man who went to bed and just think about how this is different from our Heavenly Father. So he's in bed with his children, which means he lives in a one-room house. He's not the wealthiest. He may not be the poorest, but he's not the wealthiest. And it's, it's actually possible that this man is just a little less poor than the guy knocking on his door, but he happens to have bread. He's in a state where he has what the guy needs. But when you think about God, God is inexhaustibly rich. He never is at lack. He's not in a one-room house. God is incredibly wealthy. The Bible says he owns all the cattle in a thousand hills. He owns everything. And so this is never the situation with God. He's never in a one-room house, just kind of barely getting by. God is a, is a wealthy, wealthy God who actually owns everything. And notice the man says this. He says, I cannot, that word he uses, I cannot. It's like, I have no power. I have no ability to come help you. I cannot get up and give you anything. Now, I feel a little compassionate for this guy because I think if I understand the the situation, he's in a one-room house, his kids are in bed, they're asleep. Some of you know how hard it is to get kids to sleep, okay? And you get that baby to sleep after doing whatever you had to do. I used to have to rock the, like hold the car seat and do this thing. That's, I don't know why we started that, but don't start that if you have a baby, okay? I had to do it to get the kids to sleep. You get the kid to sleep, you put him down, and now the door knocks, you getting up and, and getting that door. I mean, what's the first cardinal rule? When you get a baby to sleep, the rule is don't wake the baby, right? Everyone knows that. If you've ever had kids, I don't care what it takes. Don't wake the baby. And so the guy, I, I have a little compassion for him. He's there. He's like, no, no, man, I'm not coming and helping you because if I get up, I'm going to wake up everyone and I just can't come do it. But with God, there is never a lack of ability. It's, it's interesting that he uses this word, I don't have the power to do it. I can't. God always has the power. He will never say to us, you know what? I can't do it. There's no can'ts with God. There is no bad times with God. There's no inability with God. He is all powerful, right? The Bible says. He's omnipotent. So God always has the ability. Whereas this guy says, I can't. I can't come help you. He's able and he's willing to answer. So what does that mean? Like, what do we do with that? Well, that tells us that there's no need to come in shame or fear to God. God's not burdened by your prayer. He doesn't, look at my account. Let me see if I can help you. Let me see if I have enough. Never. So we should not come to him in shame and, and come and say, God, I, could you just help me out one more time? I, just got, I know I, I just talked to you yesterday about this, but could you help me out again? No, not with God. There's no shame. There's no fear in coming to your father. If he's your father, if he's your heavenly father, then you cry out to him and he's there for you. Just as I shared, I have the blessing of having a father who is always there, 24 hours a day, I could call him. That's how God is. Now, some of you don't have that blessing. And maybe you grew up with a father who could not be bothered, and you were always nervous to even talk to him because you weren't sure how he was going to respond and whether it was going to be a certain version of your dad or another version of your dad. And I want you to know God is not that way. Our heavenly father is not unpredictable. He's not temperamental. He's not abusive. He is a father who listens, who loves us, and who's always ready to help. Always able, always a good time to come to him. 
that should motivate you and that should motivate me to talk to God more because he's there. Now, when I think of this parable and I, I put myself in the place of the guy knocking on the door, you know, it really makes me cringe. Like, if you, if you know me, like, I'd rather be the guy in bed than the guy knocking on the door. I hate being that person that's annoying somebody, that's putting somebody out. If my wife were here, she would amen that because, you know, she'd probably be like, you know, Mark, take care of your family. Don't worry about, you know, that guy. But, like, I hate being put out. I hate bothering somebody. And so when I, this is just cringy. I look at this story and think, I can't imagine knocking on my neighbor's door at midnight. I think there's even a couple neighbors of mine in here. I wouldn't do that to you, okay? I would try very hard not to do that to you. There have been times where my kids have been motivated to start a lemonade stand, okay, in our neighborhood. And it's probably after watching Shark Tank or something, and they go, hey, Dad, let's do a lemonade stand. We can make some money. And I know, like, if they do a lemonade stand, it'll teach them responsibility, how to use money. I just can't bear the thought of them sitting out on the curb, bothering my neighbors, trying to convince them to pay money to my kids. Oh, don't they look cute? Look, they're selling you lemonade. So I've always said, no, no lemonade stands. Like, I don't, want, I, I don't want to do that to my neighbors. I look at this and go, man, how awkward is this? And so I find this word that Jesus uses in the parable particularly striking, given how I tend to be, I think how a lot of us tend to be. He uses this word in the ESV, it's actually the word impudence. I had to look this word up. I had to look how to pronounce it. Like it sounds like a made-up word, but it's not, okay? Impudence means shamelessness. It means you have no shame. In, in this day, it was literally translated no shame, no fear of disgrace, no self-respect even, no dignity. And by the way, it's not a good adjective. It's not a good word. If, if this was used of somebody, it basically means they don't know how to interact in society. They, they don't have the proper shame you should have. They're kind of immodest. They're kind of asking something that's inappropriate. And so the fact that God uses this word for us tells us this is how we should pray. We should pray without shame, no fear, not even worried about propriety. That's interesting to me because, again, I always am worried. How does this person feel? And when I come to God, I'm supposed to have this impudence, this idea of no shame, no fear, come to the Father. And at first blush, you think about this, there is something inappropriate, there is something improper about coming to the God of the universe, the God who made everything, and bringing my request to him and saying, God, could you help me with this? I have this thing going on. I have these feelings I'm dealing with. I need you to do something about it. This is God, the God of all heavens and earth. That is a little inappropriate. That is a little improper if it weren't for Jesus Christ. right? If it wasn't for Jesus Christ and what he's done for us, this would be highly inappropriate to just stroll into the throne room of God and say, hey, uh, I, I, got a, I got a need for you, God. I mean, you wouldn't do that in the White House. You wouldn't get past the security. So with God, the only way we can even come into his presence and, and bring our requests is because of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ has removed the shame. I mean, the Bible says in Hebrews again and again, Jesus is the perfect high priest. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. And so because he shed his blood on the cross, because he made a way, he became the way, we can come into the throne room of God. That is an amazing privilege, isn't it? That you can talk to God, the Father, I mean, last week we talked about the Holy Spirit in us. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. All members of the Trinity, their spirit is in us. God is in us because Christ has made the way. Christ has removed the shame. 
So don't take that for granted that you can just come to God with your request and give them to him. You can come in shamelessly. You can come in without even dignity and you can fall before God and say, God, I need you. And he hears because he's your father. If God is not burdened by prayer, then why are we burdened by prayer? We should not be burdened by prayer. So prayer is not a burden. God's not burdened by it. You and I should not be burdened by prayer either. But I was thinking of a few times in which we may be burdened with prayer. Prayer is part of the learning curve of discipleship. And I found this to be true. When I'm, when I'm discipling somebody, one of the first hurdles that they have to kind of jump over is prayer. I'll look at them and I'll say, hey, why don't you pray? And they'll look at me like a really blank stare, like, mm, no, 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 you pray. You pray, Pastor. <laughs> because we're nervous. Like, am I saying it the right way? Am I doing it the right way? Prayer's not meant to be a burden where you feel like, oh, I can't do it right, so I guess I, I won't pray. And I just want you to know a secret. Most people are petrified to pray in public, not just you. Most people are petrified. I'll be, you know, I'll be out and about in an event, and it never fails. Somebody will come up to me and be like, hey, this is what, this is what I think they're thinking. You have a degree in prayer, right? You can pray, right? You're a pastor, so you can pray for us? And, you know, I get it. Like, what am I doing with my life as a pastor if I'm not willing to pray at, at, at any notice? Okay, that's, that's what we do, and, and I'm willing to do it, and I love to pray for, for God's people. But... Every once in a while, somebody will say to me, you know what, you pray all the time, Pastor, I got this one. And then they'll pray. And I always love that. And, and you know, it might not be the, the flashiest prayer or the, even the most specific with using words, but um, I love to hear people just put, pour out their heart to, to their Heavenly Father and just pray. Say, God, here I am. That's what it's about anyway. It's not about the exact words you use. You know, I think about this, the, the, the way that I've seen people come to prayer, and so many people are hesitant to do so, if they could just realize that their Father is there in heaven, who loves them, who loves to hear their voice, I think we'd engage in it more. Tabidi said this, he said, there's no shame in not knowing how to pray or feeling uncomfortable in prayer. There's only shame if we don't ask to be taught, and as a result, spend years of our Christian lives in ineffective prayer. I like that. I like that because so many people feel uncomfortable. They feel shameful about praying. And I, I take comfort in the fact that these guys, these 12 who walked with Jesus, who knew him really well, they had to ask for help with prayer. They said, teach us how to pray because we don't know how to pray. We can do that. You and I can do that. You can say to a brother or sister in Christ and say, hey, I, like, teach me how to pray. I want to learn to pray. I want to talk to my heavenly father. We should approach God without thought of our dignity because here's the problem. Here's this scenario here. We have a guy knocking on a door at midnight who is not thinking about his dignity. And that's how we're to pray. We're to pray shamelessly. You know, I don't care what people think of me. I don't care how I look. I'm coming to God in prayer because you know what? We don't care about our dignity. We care about God's dignity only. When you come to God in prayer, you should be thinking God is dignified. God is holy. God is amazing, not me. And so we get the thoughts off of us and we place them on God. That's really a good prayer. When you have somebody who is not thinking about themselves, and they're just thinking about God, and I don't care if it comes from a four-year-old or an ordained minister, if somebody can empty themselves of themselves and just say, God, it's about you, that's what prayer is. Prayer is all about God and who he is, not about us. You might remember in Luke 18, uh, read this later today, I would encourage you, this author also in chapter 18 writes 
about a Pharisee and a tax collector. Remember those prayers? Very different prayers. We have a Pharisee who stands here. He's so aware of what people think of him. He says, oh, God, thank you that I'm not like that wretch. Thank you that I do this for you and I tie this and I do this and that and the other thing. Thank you, God, that I'm righteous is the, is the gist of his prayer. And then you got this, this tax collector here who just he can't even look up to heaven. The Bible says he just beats his chest and just says, God, please be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. I need you. Here we have a guy who's not thinking about his dignity. He's thinking about God's dignity. And you got a person who's all about their dignity, forgetting that God is holy and they're in, he's in his presence. That's what prayer is supposed to be. Now, maybe you've been praying for a while. The thought of praying doesn't bother you. You're not nervous about it. But this is maybe more my scenario. You, you find yourself getting burdened by the process of prayer. Like, oh, I got to pray for that again. Like, here's my prayer list. I've been praying for this every day for three years. God, I'm bringing this before you again. Maybe it's my child, my, my, my kid. Maybe it's a physical thing. Maybe it's a spiritual thing. God, I'm just I'm tired of praying. So I'm tired of knocking. Prayer is not meant to be a burden. You know, so we start to approach prayer kind of the way I approached my paper route collecting. Like, I'm going to knock on a lot of doors, and every once in a while it's going to open and something good will happen, but most of the time, nothing. No answer, just me knocking on the door. And that's how we feel prayer is, and prayer becomes a burden for us. And it's kind of the thing we, we skip over in the morning. It's like, I have all these things to do. Prayer doesn't seem productive, so I'll, you know, kind of just skip that for now. But it is so productive, not in the way we might think. Prayer is not a burden Prayer is an invitation. It's not a burden to God. It shouldn't be a burden to us. Prayer is an invitation. I want you to see the words that Jesus uses. He, he, he invites us to pray, and he says this, And I tell you, ask, seek, knock. And this open invitation is interesting to me, because when I read it, I just read it in the text, it sure sounds like a prescription, right? It sounds like a sure thing. You ask, the Bible says, it will be given to you. You seek, you will find, knock, and the door will be open to you. But if you've been praying for any length of time, you know it doesn't feel that way. God, I, I asked, and you didn't answer. Like, I, I knocked, and you didn't open the door. Like, the Bible says, if I ask, you'll answer. If I seek, I'll find. If I knock, the door will be open. But that's not what it feels like. Here's what's interesting about this text. We are familiar with the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, passage with the Lord's Prayer. But in this context, with this parable, it helps us understand what Jesus means. He's not saying it's like an incantation or it's this formula, ask and boom, you find, or ask and, and, and your answer answered. He's not saying it's this kind of thing we just do, a formula. Look at the parable. There's this idea of insistence, this, this persistence, this boldness that we're supposed to have. And even the fact that he uses three words, all for the quest of prayer, ask, Seek, knock. Why give us three words? If you look at the words, these words are written in a continuous tense. It's, it's like a present active. You just keep asking, you keep seeking, you keep knocking. And so probably an even clearer way of saying this and true to the text would be this. Ask, seek, knock, repeat. I mean, that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I want you to ask. And if you keep asking and you ask and you ask and you ask and you ask, it will be given to you. If you seek and you seek and you keep seeking and it's your, it is the way that you walk with me to keep seeking me, you'll find. And if you knock and you keep knocking, I don't care if you feel like it's pointless at this point, if no one's answering, you keep knocking, 
the door will be open to you. That's his promise, but to understand it, you need to realize it's this persistence, this boldness to be able to continue to go to God and say, God, you haven't given me an answer, at least that I like yet, but you promise that if I seek, I will find. Now, what's going on? Is it because we wear him down like this man in the bed? Like, oh, you know what? I just don't want to hear the doorbell anymore. I'm so, I got to go, go deal with this. Honey, I'll be back. I got to deal with crazy neighbor, okay? And, and is, that, is that what God is? Is God just, we wear him down with our continual, okay, it's the 179th time, now I'll give it to you. I was waiting for 179. Um, it, that is not the point of this parable. The point of this parable is that quite the opposite. Every time we knock, every time we ask, God smiles. Every time we commune with him and we come before the throne and we say, Dad, I'm here again. This is your son. This is your daughter. You know I've asked for this so many times. You know I've prayed for my kids every single day. Here I am again. God is smiling. He wants us to come to him. It's recognizing that we have nowhere else to turn. Think for a moment what would happen if we pray once and boom, it shows up. Like better than Amazon, you know, Prime or whatever the same day thing is they're doing, okay? God, I really need a new car. Please give me a new car. We open our eyes, boom, a new car's in our driveway. Can you imagine what would happen to our spiritual life if it worked like an incantation or if it worked like this formula? Ask, boom, there it is. Well, we would, we would look at God as a magic genie. That's what we would do. God would be for us. It would be all about God providing for us. The reward would be all the stuff that we get. God gives us this stuff and that's the reward. That's what I've been seeking anyway and now I've found it. And God doesn't work that way. God wants us to understand that it's part of the process of prayer. Because in seeking, you find. And most of the finding is God himself. He wants to reveal himself to you. He wants, to, he wants your heart. That's really what it comes down to is God wants our heart. He values persistent pursuit of him. Because here's what repetitious praying does. It's, it's saying to God, God, I trust you. I love you. You haven't answered my prayers exactly how I want yet, but I'm still coming to you because you are, you are my God, you are my Father, and I'm here. God knows that we learn something through persistent prayer that we would not learn otherwise, and he wants to do that in us. Hebrews eleven six says, and without faith it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God rewards those who seek him? And if you're like me, like that little boy knocking on the door, sometimes you doubt it. God, you said if I seek you, you reward. But where's the reward? You have not answered my request. I've been asking you and asking you and asking you. And what we don't realize is that in seeking, we find him. God has given us himself and the relationship that we have with him, which would not be established if it was this automatic formula. And so while I'd love it to work that way, maybe I don't. Maybe I'm glad it doesn't work that way because I'd be so self-centered if prayer worked that way. And God says, you need to be persistent. You need to keep coming to me. We need shameless, persistent prayer. And Leon Morris says, we must not play at prayer. We must not play at it. It's not just a thing we do for ourselves. It's not a thing that we just mess around with. No, this is about God. It's not about us. All right, so we close here. And what does this look like? How, how should this affect our prayers? What kind of prayer are we talking about here? And I'll just give you a few examples. One would be your prayer for your children. I've mentioned that a couple times. 
But, you know, being a dad at this stage now, my kids being in their teens, I've been praying for a long time for them. And some things I've been praying for, I've been praying for the same thing every day for years. And it's hard. It's hard to go to God again. And I've, I've spoken with you even today, some of you, who have significant struggles with your children, like significant. Here you are again asking God for it. And you're praying again and again and again. This is what it looks like, saying, God, I know you're smiling as I pray to you. I'm asking you to work. I'm asking you to do something. How about praying for the salvation of other people? How about praying for other people in intercessory prayer? I mean, it should, be, it should be noted that in this text, the guy who's knocking on the door is doing so on the behalf of somebody else. He's not just like, hey, dude, I'm hungry. Give me some bread. He is asking for somebody else. And when we pray, we should be also praying for one another, which is what we've done this morning already and we'll do in just a moment. Praying for the salvation of others. I don't care how many days uh, you pray for that person's salvation. Until the day that they die, there's always a chance for redemption. You pray for them. How about the connection cards we get? Sometimes we get the same connection cards with the same prayer request almost every week. Do we just look at it and go, oh, not that again? No, that is showing you are persistently seeking God with these requests. Keep doing that. Keep saying, God, here's my request. I want God's people to pray for me. And how about prayers for your own sanctification? And this probably hits home with you. I mean, how many times have you prayed to God to ask him to deliver you from something, to rescue you from the flesh and the ways that you're tempted and the struggles with pride and all the things that you have and you're like, here I am again, God, I've messed up. You know, even today we had a time of confession. It's like, God, it's me again. <laughs> Prayers for your own sanctification saying, God, I need you to do a work in me. I thank you that I'm not what I was five years ago. But God, I want to be more like Christ. Would you change me? Would you work through your Holy Spirit in me? Those kind of prayers need to be persistent, shamelessly asking God. I'm going to close. I just want to share one quick story with you. There's a man in our church. He goes to the Crown Point campus. His name is Dale Terpstra. And Dale's been praying for years for a kidney. It's kind of a neat story. He's been praying for years for a kidney. And if you know how these things work, it can be difficult to get a kidney transplant. And he just, uh, a couple weeks ago, finally got a kidney. The crazy thing about this is, it's one of those swap things where there's like 10 people involved all over the, the nation. Somebody donates to somebody else, that person donates to somebody else, and so on and so forth in order to get a kidney that matches yours. And God just did this for him. And I think about that illustration of how people were praying year after year, day after day, and what is God doing all the while? He's putting people in different places and getting them all lined up so that a 10-person swap can happen and Dale can get a kidney. And we just have no idea what God's doing while we pray persistently. What is God doing in your children? What is God doing in your family? What is God doing in the life of that person that you want to see come to Christ? Remember, he is our father. He's not saying, go ahead, just wear me down. You know, eventually I'll respond. He's smiling every time we pray. Every time our hearts are knit to his. So I want to encourage you with that. This is motivation to pray, right? Not because it's a formula, boom, you do it and it happens. Not because you can just wear God down, but because he loves you and you're his child. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word and how it teaches us about even prayer. Lord, many of us may, may have some misconceptions about prayer. Maybe we think it's a burden to you. Maybe we, we worry about uh, bothering the God of the universe with our little requests. God, may we see you as our father and a good father. 
Not a father that we don't know how you're going to respond, but a father who loves to give good gifts to your children. That's what you say in this chapter. God, as, your, as our father, we know that you love us. We know that you have our best We know that you are are working something in us. And even though we cannot see it and we don't understand it, and we pray day after day after day for the same things, may we not give up because you are a good father. And you're doing something inside of us, God, that we can't see. Maybe what we actually find is you. Maybe what we find is a closer intimacy to you. What we really wanted was something, but you're giving us something better. So thank you for that. God, teach us to pray. May we be a a church that prays for one another more and more. And may this week be a spark that, that has started so that we pray prayers we've never prayed before in a deeper way. And we'll give you all the glory for that. In Jesus' name, amen.